So what you got there, Sasha? It is our new book. (laughs) Very exciting. When Kids Say They're Trans is now in print. And this is a book for parents who want their children to flourish, but who don't believe that social or medical transition is the best route for their health and well-being. And we think parents know their children better than anyone, so this book will give you the confidence to trust your instincts and also offer you some practical tools so you can be more effective in helping your child. So please visit our website, wekidsaythertrans.com, to order your copy today. Hi Stella, this was a really good one. Yeah, a very intense conversation with Peter Bogosian. I thought it was very powerful. Yeah, so Peter is well known for his very public resignation from Portland State University. After he became highly disillusioned with academia, um, he wrote a series of papers which got published in very kind of critical social justice journals, but they were really um, kind of an experiment. And he also wrote a book called How to Have Impossible Conversations. and Peter's well known for his kind of take on academia, but we went in a different direction today. Yeah, he 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 is brilliant, and he's he he's, he peppers his speech with so many kind of intellectual references that I can't keep up with. But where we went today was a, a kind of on a different side almost often because we had a difficult conversation where you know we role played the the part of you know a thirteen year old child. Who, who who wanted to get on puberty blockers and he used all his skills and we we saw him use them and he really turned up for it. It was it was really powerful. Yeah, so Peter plays the role of the dad in this role play, which you'll hear towards the end of the conversation. And Stella and I kind of take turns being the daughter who really wants to get on puberty blockers. And what you'll notice is that Peter's whole MO in these types of conversations is to lower the defensiveness of the other person. And what's amazing is that right after the role play is over, we kind of jumped into our listener community and he kind of went on a rant for parents about how this is actually the fight of your life if your child is questioning their gender. And he says, you know, get your shit together because now is the time to really focus and fight. And so what's so remarkable for those of you who join our listener community, you'll hear that the calm, patient, curious approach loving. that he uses in the role play. Yeah, it's absolutely loving and warm. Beautiful and gentle. Mm-hmm. Keep going. It really yeah. brings out the ability to, for the parent to communicate with your child. And actually what Peter thinks about this is parents really need to brace themselves because this is a very, very serious like life-changing event. So it's really remarkable. A lot of parents we work with have a hard time kind of managing their own emotions when in conversation with their kid. And so although this is aspirational, of course, Peter Bogosian is not Stella's actual dad. So the the emotional tone is different. But this is such a great example of how to have these impossible conversations. So let me tell you a bit more about Peter if you don't know. I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel where he does a breakdown of what's happened to NPR over the last few years. He does these street epistemologies where he kind of talks to people and asks them, you know, Socratic questions. And um, it's, it's all fascinating stuff. So Peter Bogosian is a founding faculty member at the University of Austin and the director of the National Progress Alliance. He has a teaching pedigree spanning more than 25 years that focuses on the Socratic method, scientific skepticism, and critical thinking. Peter's dissertation explored the increasing moral reasoning of prison inmates 
and aiding their resistance to crime. His most recent book is How to Have Impossible Conversations, and his writing can be found in the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Scientific American, Time Magazine, National Review, and elsewhere. His work is centered on bringing the tools of professional philosophers to a wide variety of contexts to help people think through what seem to be intractable problems. Here's our amazing conversation with Peter Boghossian. Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Okay, Peter, tell us about the way this culture war has impacted friendships. Um, I can't I can't speak to anybody else's friendships, but I can certainly speak to my friendships. Um, so the, the culture war has impacted me profoundly. I suppose in one sense it's like, if if you look at it as a hornet's nest and you're idiotic enough to, <laughs> to take a large stick and start beating the hornet's nest and then the hornets start stinging you, you can't complain that the hornets were stinging you because you were the one who started swatting the hornet's nest. So if I never engaged in the culture war at all, I wouldn't be in my current predicament. And my what I say, my current predicament, I've lost... I can't even tell. I've lost so many friends about, I don't even know. Okay, so part of the problem is I don't even know why I've lost them because every single person I've said, you know, I talk to me. Let's have a conversation about this. In fact, just recently, just literally the other day, I lost another friend of mine, someone, at least someone I considered a friend who was sniping at me online, putting up really personal attacks. I think also social media is making people insane. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's had a devastating price. It's, it's come at a devastating cost. I mean, these are people who know me. These are people who have been in my home. These are people who they know my family. They know my kids. And now they won't talk to me. And if they do, they'll send a terse. One guy I'm thinking of um, who I was c- close to, I, you know, he was in Australia. We call each other once in a while. And you know, it's the same thing. It's the same phrase. You're on the wrong side of history. Okay, so let's talk about that. What, what, what am I on the wrong side of history about? You're beyond talking to. I can't talk to you. I'd be, it's better if we just... So you have a couple of possibilities here. The first is that there's something embedded in the ideology, and I know this is true. There's something that's embedded in the ideology that demeans discourse and dialogue and conversation. And I was talking to my, my writing partner, James Lindsay, about this. And he says it's the fear of being perceived as a conservative, even though I'm not a conservative. So a man can identify as a woman, and everyone has to be like, yeah, that's a woman. But I, who am a classical liberal, identify as a, self-identify as a classical liberal, and the people on the no. far left are telling <laughs> me I'm alt-right and a Nazi. I, right? I mean, the whole thing doesn't even make – I mean, it's, it's just a level of insane – it's so crazy. But but anyway, but his his so I said to him, well, why why won't people have a conversation with me in private? Like why why won't they just say, 
And he said, because it's even fear, fear of being polluted or contaminated. It's a very Maoist idea. You know, yeah. talking to this person will contaminate me. So I've, I've lost a lot of friends. I will say that the quality of my existing relationships, I mean, has increased. But just think about how crazy it is to lose someone as a friend over political disagreement or ideology and not even talk to them about it. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean there aren't lines in the sand. You know, someone wants to throw people in ovens. Okay, that's a line in the sand. Certainly for yeah. me, it's a, it's a line in the sand. But the, yeah, it's come at a devastating price. Uh, that That's uh, so unfortunate. And I think from what I know about the ideology, I mean, I've been in this, in the gender world since 2016. And I've had mm. two former, like a former colleague that I knew well, uh, formally attack my therapy license behind my right. back, no conversation. So like, that's what they do. I think there's a real sense that, People who espouse these kind of heterodox views, what, what's heterodox now, which was totally normal like 30 years ago, that were so that, dangerous, yeah. that there's something so dangerous about our ideas that it's a slippery slope from whatever we're doing to like being a literal Nazi fascist, whatever, whatever. And that's very strange. But do you sense that that's the reason why that people refuse to even talk to you before they denigrate you or cut you off? Yeah, I, okay, so there's a lot that you said in there. There's something that you said that, that we have to linger on because it's extraordinarily important. So the person who refused to have a conversation with you, your colleague, all of my colleagues at my former university were like that, all of them. Um, the, the, the key thing to realize in this is that, and I published a piece about this uh, a couple of years ago, they, that the people who participate in this ideology do not accept the rules of engagement. So the traditional rules of engagement yeah. that we have had as a society, they have opted out of those. So in, I call it Culture War 2.0, the Great Realignment, where you know it's some Christians. Cultural War 1.0 is atheists versus Christians. Cultural War 2.0 is uh, some some atheists and some Christians are aligned against other atheists and other Christians. So w the wokeness is the fault line, or critical social justice, as Helen Pluck Rose called. You call it whatever you want. Majit Nawaz calls it regressive leftism. Wesley Lang calls it the successor ideology. You call it whatever you want. But um, when you opt out of the rules of engagement, someone is an existential threat. We don't play by the same rules. So when Richard Dawkins gave a talk years ago, nobody said, oh, uh, Nazi, racist, etc." What the religious folks, the creationists in particular, wanted to do is debate him, uh, have, you know, an alternative rally. The, the, you, when you opt out of the rules of engagement, you get very, 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 very nasty very fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You seem to be saying earlier, which kind of shocked me, that um, you kind of said almost as you get more successful, the, the fallout in the friendships is, is bigger and uh, harder. I thought yeah. you were going to tell me the opposite. I thought, no, no, you'll, you'll do a little bit better and then it'll calm down because no. in effect your su success will shield you. But you're saying worse is coming, Stella, if you get better. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, as your public profile writes, because then you have other exogenous variables that wow. go in, into that basket. As your public profile rises, more people will seek to take you down. More people will... So this is something I don't usually talk about, but something I've been thinking a lot about. I, I think, um, as my friend Mike Nana from Australia would say, the, the reason I don't talk about this is because I just think it's a bad look. Um, it's not that it's not true. It's that... Um, I'm even hesitant to talk about this now, but there is a component of this. The Australians call it tall poppy syndrome. There's a component, oh, yeah. a lens to view this through is envy. 
You know, why is his YouTube channel getting so much? Why is he so successful? Why is he, you know, being invited on whatever and I'm not invited? So en- envy is a, a, a motivator, but as one's public profile increases, not only <clears throat> are the attacks more vitriolic and and you, and not only I was just accused recently of, of human trafficking. Um, God, compl- that's a serious accusation, Peter. Co- correct. That's and horrible. This, this person, I mean that that. So I I had really up to that point thought like, okay, so that's it. I've had every like. There's literally and, nothing anybody can throw at yeah. me. I've 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 seen it all. <laughs> I can't really. And this person. Uh, uh, I don't know. This person may or may not have mental health. I don't really know what I assume mm-hmm. that I don't even know. I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't even know, but they had a bunch of accounts. They were talking to each other. They were, you know, going all over my social media, telling it's me I'm, horrible. You know, I'm a human trafficker. So you have to have a kind of, that's the other thing. When you participate in this space long enough at, at certain levels, uh, you know, you're going on certain shows or whatever, you just have to have a kind of, um, it's not even a resilience. Resilience isn't the right word. You have to be to develop a kind of um, hardness, you know. And 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 I don't particularly like the kind of person that that makes me. I don't. I, I think I'm very generous in spirit by nature, and that's just mm-hmm. antithetical to that. But if you if you don't do that, I think you risk devastating emotional consequences. Well, in, in our world, you know, when therapists speak out about the gender affirming care model and what we believe is a real medical scandal, the kind of attacks that you get are very vitriolic. We're accused of being conversion therapists. We're accused of. Being They're the ones who are convergent therapists. That's the that's exactly. the iron law of woke projection. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, real yeah. double speak or, you know, whatever those terms are from from Orwell's 1984. But, you know, we have seen a lot of therapists kind of peek up to try and yeah. kind of share their views and they they are attacked and it gets so vitriolic and people kind of come and go and they get almost like chewed chewed up and spit out because this is such a a crazy crazy uh world without those rules of engagement so i completely see what you're saying um but i mean do, do you think that there's any kind of turning of the tide that you've noticed. I know you, you've you been interested in the gender piece insofar as it kind of is part of critical social justice, but you've been right. watching all this unfold and you were, you were an academic, you've since left academia. Do you see that there's any kind of reason for hope or is this just as bad now or is this going to get worse? What's your sense of the direction? The only way non-falsifiable ideologies are able to penetrate and sustain themselves in the society. So if, if you have evidence for a belief, you don't need anything to buttress it. Like we know how electricity works, right? We, we know, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how electricity works, but someone knows how electricity <laughs> works, right? So we, we also know that there's a mechanism behind it. You flick a switch, the light goes on. If not, maybe it's the bulb. I mean, there, there, there's a scientific process. When a belief is inherently, when, 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 a suite of beliefs is either unfalsifiable or is sustained by something else you 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 have the only way that the the ideology can be kept in place is to have rules 
that protect against or insulate against its criticism because then it could be dislodged. So in, 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 in many countries, in Islamic countries, they have blasphemy laws. Okay, well, oh, yeah. there's, no, there's no blasphemy laws against electricity. There are no blasphemy laws against, you know, thermo qu- qu- quantum mechanics. There are no blasphemy laws against these things because we have sufficient evidence to, to warrant belief such that, to borrow a turn of phrase from Walter Kaufman, Every every person would look at the evidence and converge. To borrow another term from philosophy, uh, McIntyre's term would converge upon an opinion. So we have something with gender ideology, in which you see this in the Tavistock Clinic. Not only is there no evidence, and not only is it at best it's not falsifiable, but people have intentionally hidden what they want to do. And so in order to keep the quote, I hate term gender affirming care, but in order to keep mm-hmm. the current model along with the existing regulatory apparatus, you have to have some way to prevent that, like, because, you know, t- to prevent criticism, so social stigma, mm-hmm. political correctness. And so the question mm-hmm. is, if, you, if you're successful at creating a culture of fear, that's good, but better, the gold standard is to institutionalize mechanisms to prevent people and weaponize those me- mechanisms to prevent people from speaking out. Offices of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, bias response teams. That's really the way that the ideology seeks to protect itself. And we're all just vessels of the ideology. That's a way to look at it. Dawkins talks about that when he talks about the mimetic transmission of ideas. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit frightening because I thought you were going to tell us that it it had peaked and we are coming over the hill. Oh, and the we, way yeah, you've spoken speak. there. Yeah. Can I just say the way you you described it there, as somebody who's just our country, Ireland has just left kind of Catholic Catholicism in the last twenty years, having been absolutely bent out of shape for 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 centuries. And you know we did it with you know the 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 the, the faith you it was it, you were hamstrung every single way. You know that was very well set up. So that nobody could get out of it, if you follow me, you know what I mean. It was it was institutionalized, and so you've just described it. And with the DEI and with all the public policies and all that, it sounds like we are in for a long haul. But you tell me, you've got some good news, have you? Well, yeah. So the ideology is on the decline. There's no question about it. It's on the retreat, but it has to be on the retreat because it's not leaving aside for the fact that that it's it's just completely crazy bracketing that it has to be on the retreat because the mechanisms that sustain it i mean like look look for example we have a a, a few th- i don't mean to muddy the conversation but that we need to bring a few things into this so the last vestige helen joyce told me that the last vestige the last holdout will be parents of trans kids who have done this to their children or allowed this to happen okay so bracketing that let's talk about institutions for a second you cannot have diversity, equity, inclusion offices and free speech. You have people in the universities who have jobs for life. They have t- it's called tenure. It's actually fairly easy to get get tenure. Seven papers in seven years, uh, 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 among other things. So you, you have these legacy academic institutions with people who live in these in, who who yeah. um, occupy these institutions. So that would be the last one. You have legacy media. And the people in legacy media have been trained by legacy academic institutions, and they take right. these values and these ideas with them, and then they discharge these ideas in the media ecosystem. So 
there's no question, it, it, as I see it, in full disclosure, I've been wrong in the past where I thought we've reached peak, peak craziness. But, you know, I have a small nonprofit, National Progress Alliance, mm-hmm. and we first started, everybody except me had a um, uh, an alias. And the reason they, that we did that yeah. was because everybody was terrified of being harassed and hounded, and even people who don't have social media accounts. So the ideology is in retreat. You know, I... I so, so yes, so the ideology is we can talk about what's going to happen, and I think you mentioned a scandal. The scandal will be that the people who have mutilated children will get off scot free, right? The, the scandal will be that the hospital administrators who allowed this to take place won't have prison sentences. That's the scandal here. I mean, we have multiple scandals operating at mm-hmm. multiple levels, but we will need some kind of a truth and reconciliation. But I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. As my friend Michael Shermer tells me all the time, he said, don't, don't tell your, or not all the time, but as he said to me, you know, don't, don't tell everybody you're smart. Don't, you know, just make predictions. I'm going to make a prediction to you. <laughs> my, prediction, my prediction is at the end of the day, when this ideology has, and these practices, these ghastly practices have been thoroughly repudiated, the people who practice these will gaslight on a scale that yes. makes Trump look like a a, an, a rank amateur. A rank, we, already, they will, we already see it. Yeah, no, uh, recently we, we interviewed Julia Mason, who's a physician who was really pushing the American Academy of Pediatrics to review the evidence on puberty blockers and all this stuff for pediatric never do gender it. medicine. Well, they, they recently said that they were going to, but the point is it. that... Yeah, I don't know how they're going to conduct the review, but you already see them starting to say they're changing the definition of gender affirming care, whereas previously they were saying this relates to giving children access to all of this life saving medical intervention. And now they're saying, well, actually, no, what we mean is psychological intervention. So that's the kind of gaslighting that I think you're predicting. And I mean, please keep going. But I just wanted you to know from inside the gender world, we're already seeing that begin to happen. I predict that that's nothing compared to what's going to come. People who have openly advocated for this, videos of people, yeah. those people will deny that they ever had anything to do with they. You'll show them the video. Nope, nope. I never believe that. I never, I never believe that. I predict this on an on a scale. It, it is a kind of gaslighting, unlike anything we have ever seen in my lifetime. I I can assure you that's going to come. But that, that, that is tragic because for truth and reconciliation, and truth and reconciliation is, a, is, a, is a, a fabulous process, but truth is a fundamental aspect of truth and reconciliation. And it won't happen without truth. Because, you know, we've well, seen... Well, they don't believe in truth. They, yeah. Tr- truth so, is an... In- so right. there will not be a truth and reconciliation process unless we get truth. We've yeah, seen funny. this in Africa. We saw it in the Northern Ireland that when you didn't get truth, you just, it just roadblock. You won't get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find the whole thing so tragic, so heartbreaking. So many people have been hurt. And frankly, in my life, I'd much rather, I only do gender as it falls under the broad umbrella of critical social justice. I, I would much rather be talking about a lot of other things, Ukraine, or, you know, some political things, cancer, AI, hope for humanity, how to, you know, street epistemology, how to help people have more rational beliefs. But instead, our institutions have been hijacked by an ideology that is clearly pervasive, clearly dangerous, clearly has 
mechanisms in place to make sure it's reinforced. Scandal doesn't even begin to describe what this is. Doesn't even begin to describe it. And it's the the idea that somehow you bringing this up, that's the other thing that I, I do mm. my best to avoid. I think it's very, very important in this conversation. I don't mean this conversation. I mean the, excuse me, I mean the, whole, the cultural conversation is this is not a right-left issue. This mm-hmm. cannot be a right-left issue. We must mm-hmm. bring it out of that realm. This is an evidence mm-hmm. issue. What mm-hmm. is the evidence? And mm-hmm. is it true that certain people who hold certain beliefs about the evidence, about which they know not even the first thing about the evidence, happen to fall on? Yeah. Conservatives are also, they have knee-jerk reactions. They don't know the evidence either. They just know that the, their ideological enemies are advocating one stand. So, so, so we have to... We have to look at the evidence for this, you know, in the same way that you look at the evidence for pancreatic cancer treatment, you know, like what, what, what is the evidence? And then let's institutionalize public policies based on the best available evidence. So does it change? Yeah, sure. Of course it changes. It changes all the time. And we'll adopt those treatment modalities in accord to the evidence. But we have a very different cultural and epistemological landscape right now. Can you talk to us about your street epistemology and or epistemology? Am I pronouncing that right? Um, And what you've learned, especially talking to people, both college students on campuses and just random people in the street about the gender related issues specifically. It's fascinating to watch and we'll make sure to include videos if people haven't seen it. But can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So street epistemology is a wrote about in my first book. It's basically an, a, a very, the key of this is civil. It's a very civil way to ask people questions about why they believe what they believe and to help them calibrate their confidence in their beliefs to the evidence and reasons that they have for their beliefs. And so recently I've been doing this, something called Spectrum Street Epistemology. I've been putting people on a line. I have no idea who's going to come up to the line. There are no actors. They're just random people in, you know, Puerto Rico, London, Hungary, Romania, Australia, soon to be Taiwan, um, New Zealand. So I go all around the world with my buddy Reed, and we do this. So we put people on a line, strongly disagree, disagree, slightly disagree, neutral, and then on the other side, and we'll write a claim, can men be lesbians, or whatever the claim is, can someone change their sex in the realm of gender, and then people will walk to a line that corresponds with their beliefs, and they're free to not walk, they can stay in the neutral line if they want, they, they're free to change lines at any time, the only rule is you have to commit to a line, so you can't like move a kind of tiny bit on the line, you have to move with your one foot on the left of the line, one foot on the right, just to... Physically, you need to show people that you have moved. Okay. So we, we go all around the world, and we do that. And so what was the second part of your question? How well, does the, then you ask gender? them questions. I mean, this is the, what makes it so interesting. People pick a place on this kind of line spectrum, and then you start asking them questions. And you're yeah. using this kind of Socratic method of questioning. And sometimes the questions you ask them cause them to rethink where they're standing on the line, which is really interesting. So when you've talked to people about the gender questions, like the ones I've heard you do are, should male-bodied people be able to play in women's sports or something like that? Or should trans women be allowed? Can men be lesbians? Which is definitely entertaining to watch because it confuses the shit out of people. Like they're so genuinely confused. 
And then um, can mm-hmm. you change sex? And you, you do this at college campuses as well as like regular places. So just talk about what have you learned? What's your experience been like asking people about these gender questions? That's a, that's a good question. So we do these in college campuses. We do these all around the world. We do these in parks. We do these, excuse me, we do these everywhere. What have I learned? Um, I've learned a lot. I've learned that in the United States on college campuses, people are constantly seeking reasons to be offended. Mm -hmm. I've learned something that accords with my own experience is that professors as a general rule, rule will challenge beliefs without an emotional valence, you know, like, oh, I don't know, the diameter, how the just some kind of physical fact, like, you know, something falls in a vacuum 9.8 meters per second squared or speed of light 186,000 miles. Well, how do you know that or et cetera? But with anything controversial, by, those are probably the only two scientific facts I know, by the way. I know. <laughs> um, I was just going off on one in my mind. <laughs> no, it's the only two I know. Um, <clears throat> But 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 in in um, but but when it comes to race and gender, I've I've found so, gender in particular. So I found there's one commonality. So when you do this, it's it's important when you want to have a conversation across a divide that you define your terms, because if you don't, they're like two ships passing in the night. So th- they're like. You think you mean something. And I also post my failed conversations. If I have bad conversations, I fail oh, those. And the usual suspects, of course, will tell me I'm a moron or an idiot and a loser and a failure. Um, but, you know, you just, just whatever. Like, I post those so people will learn from those conversations. I was about so to say, you'd yeah. learn a lot. Yeah, yeah they'll yeah. see the mistakes I make, yeah. And, yeah. and they won't make them, those mistakes. Yeah, and so, it's great. Yeah, thanks. Um uh, but re- remember, any sign of weakness in the culture war, any anything, anything. Oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or anything. It is a blood. It is a pack of blood. It is like blood Demonic. for werewolves, or or what are those sharks? Or so- it is like it is a blood feeding in the water frenzy. for sharks. Yeah, yeah. thanks. That was okay. what I was looking for. It's yeah. like a feeding frenzy of of people who are genuinely weak, people who are almost universally underaccomplished or unaccomplished, and people who are dyspeptic or inherently unsatisfied and they think they should be more successful so they see you in the blood in the water yeah sorry can i ask a question about that do you think that's more true when there's an audience watching or is this true if you're one-on-one alone with a friend in your living room having a coffee because i think that blood in the water element is especially true when there's an audience because people are really trying to kind of demonstrate and posture to okay. prove something. So what do you think? I mean, I'm a therapist, so I talk one-on-one with people all the time. And there are some people who are ideologically captured, and I see what you're saying. But I think there's an audience element that really makes what you're saying extra true. Okay, so there's a bunch of things going on. This is why Mormons send people to the doors in two. There is... Okay, there's, so there's a bunch of things going on. The first thing is people will be less likely to revise their belief if they're with their buddies, if they're with their friends, if they want a virtue signal or say, I'm a member of the tribe, because the only thing people want more than to be right is to belong. And so what they'll do is they'll stand on the line. This is the key to understanding this whole process, that people formulate their beliefs. In general, people formulate their beliefs or let me say, with specific domains of inquiry. 
upon moral and not epistemological considerations. So they'll stand on the line they think they should be standing on. I'm a good person. Good people mm-hmm. stand on this line. I stand on this line. That's mm-hmm. a indispensable feature of this. My reference earlier to the blood in the water is it's not necessarily the people on the lines, but it's the people on social media who view the videos who are looking for a way to take you down a peg, the tall poppy thing I mentioned. They're looking for a way to humiliate you. They're looking to show that they're smarter than you are uh, because that you know you didn't do this or you asked this or they're looking for uh, they're looking for some either a perceived weakness, an actual weakness, or they'll manufacture a weakness Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. hurt or or attempt to damage or smear reputationally or otherwise me or whoever's engaged in, in a practice. And so I think it's, again, if you want to move in the culture war at any space, you have to have a kind of callous indifference to that. You you just can't let it bother you. You you just, you just have to, so anyway, so we go around and what I've learned about sex and gender in particular is this is primarily a problem of definition. I have spent yeah. so much time with people before I, you know, I say five, four, three, two, one, move, you know, can a man change that? Mm-hmm. Whatever. You have to define these terms. And I've never, Reed is the most, you know, Reed and I go everywhere together. He is truly the most nonplussed person I have ever met him on. He is so hmm. unbelievably calm all the time, always. The only time I've ever seen him get even remotely frustrated. So I was doing, we were in uh, Flinders Station with the, we did something with the On Common Ground people. We had like a, um, and they were just like, you know, thou, literally thousands of people, maybe even tens of thousands, but certainly thousands of people walking in and out. And we found people to stand on the lines and do Spectrum Street epistemology. And so I I did one, and you can see some of those videos online. Some guys give me the Hitler salute when we talk about trans issues. This piece of shit, homophobic, whatever, Nazi. Um, huh. It's fascinating to watch. I saw I, the I, guy I, with the long hair. Yeah, okay. I told him I, I, yeah. made a, I, I made a thumbnail out of him, Hitler saluting me. But, um, um, okay, so... You were saying so, Reed is very calm, and you were talking about yeah, this. So, yeah, so I, I was doing this. I was doing this. And he was frustrated with me because I wasn't securing definitions up front. I was um, securing yeah. definitions up front, but I wasn't like really, really securing. Yeah. So, so Reed spends like, so Reed's a very good street epistemology. He's excellent. <laughs> so he gets up there and they get on the line and he spends, I don't even just how many minutes securing definite. Like, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know how long he, he spends a long okay. time. And then he says to them something. Okay. So, and then he repeats the definition back to them. He's like, okay, so this is what you mean, right? Yeah. And he's like, are you sure this is what you mean? This is, I just, so tell me, do I have this right? Yeah. So you check. Okay. It's okay. They go to the line and instantly they change their definitions. They change oh, their definitions in like one okay. second. And they change their definitions for multiple reasons. One reason is they don't want to offend people. They don't want to offend, you know, a quote unquote trans person. If they think someone can, they said one thing about sex, but that that would entail that someone couldn't change their sex. And so there's a there, there's a hyper attenuated sense of the sense of the sensitivities of others coupled with a kind of existential moral urgency. Yeah. And so getting people to secure a definition when it comes to sex and gender, I mean, holy shit, even if you were to get them to secure a definition, they still change their definition. 
But it was the only time I've ever seen Reed ever get frustrated. <laughs> Sex and gender got him. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for the show. To take an even deeper dive and support the show, join our listener community for access to exclusive content, practical tools, and resources supporting gender and identity exploration. We're so grateful to our sponsor, Genspect, an international organization which offers an alternative to WPATH, providing a range of education, resources, and supports to anyone impacted by gender distress Genspect unites many different organizations globally and gives voice to thousands of previously untold stories. For more info, visit genspect.org. And thank you to our sponsor, GetA. GetA is an association of therapists who believe that individuals experiencing gender-related concerns ought to be treated using a whole-person approach. We connect like-minded clinicians, provide educational resources and training, and help people with gender dysphoria find the right help. Visit GetA at genderexploratory.com. And now back to the conversation. Could I ask something? It was something you said earlier. And you looked really kind of intense about it. And I thought I thought it was. I'm an intense dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, it was when you started talking about the mediocre minds and how they are. You know, the, it made me think of the banality of evil and Hannah Rent yeah. and Adolf Eichmann, and it yeah, made yeah. me think of your experience in the colleges. And I, 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 you know, I, I think there is a real. Arguably a rot that has been kind of um, supported and upheld by, by mediocre minds who, who refuse to kind of expand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is very, very, very important. I should have asked you about your audience before we talk. So I'll, I'm just going to say this. So this movement is populated by extraordinary medio, extraordinarily mediocre minds. But you have to understand why that is. It's not that people who have mediocre minds happen to think that gender-affirming care is a good thing. That's not the causal relationship. It's far more profound than that. In order to develop a... thoughtful intellectual life and a rigorous epistemology in order to develop cognitive and epistemological tools that will enable you I don't I don't want to frame this in terms of what's true or false but will enable you to understand opposing arguments and debate well a necessary precondition of that is that you need to know what those arguments are Mm-hmm. embedded in the nature of this ideology. And I have gone around the, the, the world and I've asked, I don't even know how many people who've, who's a gender studies, I you know speak before colleges and universities all the time. Who's a gender studies major, raise your hand. Have you ever read Martha Nussbaum's critique of Judith Butler? No, nobody. The ideology itself and the way that it's institutionalized in colleges of education, gender studies, anything with studies in universities, it doesn't allow people by design to look mm-hmm. at opposing arguments. It, there's no apologia. There's no First Peter 3.15. There's no defense of the faith. There's no, but that's by design. 
And yeah. if you, the, the, the worst Christian apologist, maybe not the worst, but among the worst of all Christian apologists, they know the arguments against their position and they have well-rehearsed responses to those. And they have responses to the responses to those. This ideology by design does not allow, I don't know, epistemological plumbing or looking at other ideas. The consequences of that, if you do that long enough, is you will do the opposite of what Stephen Covey calls sharpen, sharpening the saw. You'll do the opposite of that. You'll become, it's not necessarily the, I don't know, I want to make a play on banal, but you'll become, you'll dull your mind. You'll dull your intellect. In fact, if you do it long enough, not only will you dull your intellect, but you'll actually make yourself stupider, literally stupider. So that's why you can never have a great defender of trans issues. It's literally, it means literally impossible. It, it literally cannot happen because to do that, you have to know what the arguments on the other side are. And by design, the ideology, that's the kind of Maoist contamination. Have you you talked to Kathleen Stock on your show? And I remember she's a friend of mine. She's brilliant, and and something that I think she does really well is she explains the way philosophers have not helped in this area because 100%. the gender ideology zealots they do these kind of tricky cognitive things, and I can't speak eloquently about this, but I, I can tell you viscerally, I know they're taking like edge cases and trying to change the rules of what's real and what's not real based on, let's say, edge cases or based on like outliers, like with something like intersex and sex as a binary and sex as a spectrum. Like that's one example. And Kathleen just points this out in her book, and she does such a masterful job of it that you're, you're right. They're not really grappling with the best versions of their opponent's arguments. They're basically trying to dismantle their opponent's arguments by misunderstanding them. Okay, it's what you just said is the most charitable interpretation one could possibly give <laughs> of an institutionalized derangement syndrome. That's, that's actually the nicest, kindest version of what's happening. So I published a piece about this in the Philosopher's Mag Magazine a few years ago. So um, you mentioned philosophers and you mentioned Kathleen's a friend of mine. She's actually a friend, very friendly with my son, too. Um, she's, I told her she's my, my, my fa my, one of my favorite non-men attracted to other non-men. Um, <laughs> um, uh, okay, so, so what's happening is you have a group of people talking about academic philosophers. Oh, and by the way, when I published this piece, instead of I talked about the rules of engagement, how people would engage. Like traditionally the rules of engagement are if someone publishes a piece you don't like, you publish a piece saying why it's wrong and, and yeah. you hash it out in the public space. Like that's that's the rule of engagement. That's just what you do. You know, my buddy at Portland State, independent of what one thinks about his arguments in the famous paper, now retracted paper, The Case for Colonialism, because the, the journal editor had death threats um, instead of giving death threats, t tell, tell them, argue, ideally in the same journal, but it doesn't have to be, uh, argue in the peer-reviewed system why Bruce Gilley's argument is bad. And that's mm -hmm. what we do. That, 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 that's the rules of engagement. Okay, so back to the philosophy question. So the reason I said, and I was somewhat tongue-in-cheek, tongue um, but not, not really, Sasha, the, the problem is that you have groups of very smart people who are good at making arguments. Those arguments stand in service to the dominant moral orthodoxy. Those arguments stand in service to anti-racism, to intersectionality, to 
w- whatever the moral fashion of the day is. And one of the reasons they do that is to get promoted, to get tenure. They won't. They know, and I think the, the grievance studies affair, the fake papers that we published, uh, the hoax, I don't know, hoax might not be the exact word, but the Sokol-style papers mm-hmm, we published, mm-hmm. if it's morally fashionable, boom, right in, no matter how insane or crazy it is. Mm-hmm. So there's an, an incentivized mechanism, a structure in place. Philosophers are not the gatekeepers of reason. They're just as susceptible. In fact, I would argue that they're more susceptible than anybody else uh, to, to believe bad ideas. Michael Shermer in The Believing Brain writes, why do smart people believe really stupid things? Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing. It's because they're better at coming up with good reasons for good bad ra- conclusions. Arguments. So now we have a, a bunch of people who occupy, and remember, their living depends on this, right? And what the hell is the philosopher going to do if they're not in the academy? I don't know. That's part of the problem. <laughs> um, so you have groups of really smart people rationalizing uh, or supporting the dominant moral orthodoxy. So the philosophers are part of the problem. I have a, a very, very, very good friend of mine. He's still my friend, actually, um, astonishingly. I told him six or seven years ago, I said, listen, I'm not going to mention his name. Um, I said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you, this guy's a professional philosopher, high end, very high, high end professional philosopher. I, I, you know, speaks like, I don't even know how many languages totally fluent. I mean, this is, he's like legit. He's like totally Mm -hmm. the real deal. I said, listen, man, I want you to write down, um, uh, at least five, but preferably 10 things you believe right now that you didn't believe five years ago. At the time, you know, Ibram X. Kendi's book just came out uh, stamped, um, and we have been talking about these things. Um, And I told him, I said, I'm going to make a prediction to you. My prediction is that you're going to look back at the things that you that you have written here, and you're going to think, "Holy shit! I that these are these are insane." Okay, so him being smart is not a prophylactic against believing crazy shit, right? Um, I haven't spoken to him in in a while just because I've been just crazy busy, but uh, I did text him and asked him. I said, "Look, I hope you've done that because." What that would mean ultimately is all this study of philosophy has not only not taken you toward the truth, but it's actually steered you toward falsity because it's given you tools to to deepen your conviction or to develop a conviction about things that are just not true. So you would have been better off not studying philosophy. I heard Jesus. you talk about that before, and I thought that was a very interesting story. It's like the tools of philosophy can help us trick ourselves into really believing delusions that aren't true because they're such masterful tools, though they don't necessarily arrive at, like, capital T truth. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. also the way that philosophy has been institutionalized. It's certainly not the philosophy practiced by the historical Socrates. Yeah. Uh, but but it's it's... It's the it's a f- feature of university architecture by and large, and the promotion and tenure system, and uh, o- o- other features that we see in particularly legacy institutions. Mm-hmm. We wanted to try something special, and Stella will be your mm-hmm. guinea pig. We would like to do a bit of a role play where okay. you practice the street epistemology on Stella. And Stella's okay. going to take a position. And really what we have in mind when we, we do this is that, you know, we don't encourage parents to like debate with their trans identified kids, but Never. we do encourage them to, you know, 
have heart-to-heart conversations, be willing to share that you have a different perspective from your child. And so we wanted to just kind of set up an example of what it might look like if we were, if you were using the principles like the ones you outlined, for example, in the book, How to Have Impossible Conversations, which I recommend to parents all the time. I think it's great. Thank um, you. I'd love to ask you after the role play if you think this applies equally to like parent and child relationships, because I imagine there's some differences there. But Stella's going to be taking the role <laughs> of trans identified. Okay. No, I think you should do it, Stella. Okay, you, you, you do start it. it off. You can do it. You can do it. Stella, pick pick a pick a statement, maybe, or pick a uh. position. And then Peter, you can demonstrate what it looks like to use this method of questioning that hopefully uh, minimizes, you know, the, the sense of conflict, conflict or... Sure. Yeah, be, be, before I do that, before I do that, I want to go back and talk about something you said that's so important. The sure. reason that you don't want to debate is because when you debate someone, by definition, what that means is people hunker down and what their position is and they're less willing oh, yeah. to revise their beliefs. And so if the goal is to truly understand, which I argue that it should be, to understand someone's position, where they're coming from, be willing to change your mind and have them be willing to change their mind, then by definition, a debate doesn't do that. That's not the right. Okay, so you're shaking your head. Okay, so let's jump in then. Let's jump in. Okay, so I'm 13 years old and I, I need to go on puberty blockers and I need to go on them immediately. And every day that passes... I am getting more distressed. Okay, so what's my relationship to? Are you my daughter? Yes. And I'm your. I'm, I, I assume I'm your father and not your. Uh, you can yeah. be the dad. I let you be yeah. my father, daddy. Oh my god! <laughs> I could make such a radically Sorry. inappropriate joke right now. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't do that. <laughs> I won't. That's going won't viral. That. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good thing I didn't make that joke. Okay. So, so, um, so, so, so <laughs> you can say, I feel a little weird saying this, not creepy, but weird. So you're yeah, my daughter. Cool. Yeah. You're my daughter. And, and I want to go wanna, on private drugs. You, you want to go on purity blockers. Okay. And, uh, do, are you a tomboy? Do I think you're gay? You certainly you don't have to I'm... be a tomboy, but no, you, probably I... no. You think, maybe you think I'm gay and you, you certainly think I'm very distressed. Okay. Do I think, you think you're autistic? So I need more yeah. context is what I'm yeah, yeah, okay, okay. talking about. The, ki- the kinds of yeah, questions I, I would ask got are it, different. Got it, got it, got it. Very good. So I would imagine, uh, you can help me out here, Sasha, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking um, perhaps gay, certainly distressed about their sexual development and you know wh- where they're going sexually, maybe even haven't really kind of awakened sexually. Yeah, so, I think this is yeah. a late bloomer. Doesn't want to talk about sex. Doesn't go. want to talk about who she's attracted to. All she knows is that she feels really awkward. She doesn't fit in very well with other girls her age. And she spent a lot of time uh, on her computer researching about, you know, why I hate my breasts growing. Why do I feel so uncomfortable in my body? You don't have to talk about that if you don't want Probably to. Probably she's, she's basically no, I'll talk learned, about anything. She's yeah, learned yeah. a lot online and she's become convinced that the reason she feels so bad is because she's really a boy. And okay. that impending puberty changes that she's already started going through are a ticking time bomb. She needs puberty blockers. Okay. I So I'm going to ask you... <laughs> Excuse me. Gesundheit. Gesundheit. I'm going to ask you Thanks. some questions. These might seem weird questions, but... 
obviously when I do this in Australia, I don't, or wherever, I just thought, of, I don't yeah. know why I thought, the Irish mm -hmm. accent triggered Australia. I probably shouldn't have said that out <laughs> it's probably a sin, but obviously when I, when, when I do this, I don't know who comes to the, to the lines. Uh, and I, I have no idea who's going to participate and who's not, but yeah. this is case is very different. And this case, I need it to context, contextualize it more. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you some questions Dude. and they may be, maybe weird. If, weird oh, and weird yes, questions. you can presume autistic traits, high autistic traits, whether it's diagnosed or not very definitely. Yeah. Okay. So that changes mm. that puts, that puts the conversation immediately into hard mode. Very, okay. That makes it much more Great. difficult, which is fine. So the other thing is, do, does this person have close friends? Online. No, has, has a huge Just community online, online where she feels like she belongs, is lost and lonely. Okay, now it's life. extra hard. So she has no this, real this friends. Is, this is our listeners, Peter. I mean, how to hard, these parents are dealing with a lot. It's really hard. Yeah, these are impossible conversations. Okay, so well, no, uh, I'm going to ask you a few more questions. This, these are going to seem like weird questions. That's okay. Does she, do they have a dog or a cat? Do they have a, 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 a quite a close attachment and feel very comfortable around the dog? Well, well that's say, that's interesting. Will we say yeah? Let's say yeah, yeah. Let's get. Let's yeah. just lay out some some. Do they watch? Do, yeah. Do they? What do they watch on TV? Do they watch anime? Yeah, loads of creative, a creative, you know, artistic type. Okay, okay. So I just needed some some context to better help me to understand the question. Okay, so let's let's do the role play, but let's situate the role play in something. Like, um, we're in the kitchen. There's a dog on the couch. I put, I have a couch on my couch. There's a dog in it. I'm okay. I'm about to I'm about to um, prepare a meal. Yeah. Um. Again, I I hate to be so granular, but it's important. Yeah. Um. This is really important. But I ask as many as you want i, I really do so if we're in the kitchen and i'm preparing a meal uh let's say that i'm gonna have a salad and uh i don't know uh steak or something okay um and i want to ask my daughter which happens to be you stella yeah uh to cut the tomatoes okay would that be within the realm of things I could ask? Like, would she be comfortable yeah. with a knife at thirteen? Okay. 100%. Okay. All right. Good. So let's 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 do it. So that's where we are. We're in the kitchen. We're having a conversation right before dinner. We're 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 prepping the meal. Uh, all right. So let's do it. Hey, honey. Okay. Hey, Dad. Like, you know, I I came out as trans some months ago, and you told me to give you time. I've given you time. Oh. It's it's every 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 day is pain. I need to yeah. get on puberty blockers. I feel like you're avoiding it. When we know we know that I'm a boy, we know that we just you just have to let me live my life. And I just don't understand why you're slowing things down when it's so important to me. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Well, thank. I first let me see. I I I appreciate you telling me that, and and I want to have that conversation with you. Let's have that conversation. I also want to make sure that we. We have have dinner when when my husband comes home. So let's why don't you um why don't you help out here and we'll have that conversation. Do, do me a favor, cut the tomatoes while we have the conversation, um, and then we'll we'll set the table later. So so uh, um, 
who have you spoken to about this? Have you spoken to a counselor or anybody at school? I have spoken to, you know, some really good friends online and they know an awful lot. I've I've really learned. I've done my research. I've taken it very, very seriously. I've really, really absorbed myself in this. And I, I really yeah. know. This I believe subject. that. I believe. I, yeah, I, 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 I believe I believe you really you really know the subject. Let's get let's come back to that, because I think that's that's really important. Um, and, and how you how are you feeling about how are you feeling about yourself? I feel that I'm really unhappy and I know what's going to make me happy when I get on puberty blockers and I've started my journey and I'll be able to kind yeah. of know my path ahead. And it's it's just I feel like I, I'm being held back. Yeah. And I, so just, I know you love me and you're worried, but I think you're holding me back for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, no, of course, of course I love you. I'm just trying to I'm trying to just figure this out so that I can understand. So thanks for helping to clarify this so that that I can understand. So you said you're really unhappy. What what are you unhappy about? I want to live my life as as the boy I am. And I feel like I'm living a fake life because everybody's calling me the wrong name. I I'm developing what, and I shouldn't be. What name do you want them to call you? Well, I I want them to call me Aiden, but now so many people don't take me seriously because I I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't legally transitioned and, you know, some of the teachers get it right, but some of them get it wrong and they they call me by my old name. And sometimes even you call me by the wrong pronouns. People get it wrong and that just derails me completely. When I, I know what I want, but people won't follow, you know, the, the, the guidance yeah. I give them. What, 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 so just, just so that I'm clear. So what name do you want to be called? I want to be called Aiden. But people call me Alicia, well, nice my name. old name. Yeah, that's a nice name. But people call me my my old name, my dead name, and they call me, you know, she, her pronouns just by accident. I know they want to, they want to get it right, but so many times people get it wrong, and it's it's distressing. And if I could get on puberty blockers, and if if I could kind yeah. of get it, you know, get the road clear, then I could just start living my life as the so boy let me, I am. Let me, let me ask you a question. It's just again, I thanks for your patience. I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I understand. Don't cut your off on the tomatoes um so if you had a magic wand and yeah. you wave that wand and you were suddenly a boy would all of your problems go away i don't think all of my problems would go away but i think the deep intense problem mm. would go away and i think that would free me to deal with any other problems that were in my life. Yeah, I can see that. So what's the deep, intense problem? I'm living uh, the wrong life. I, I, I should be living the life as, as, you know, as Aiden. I should be recognized as a boy. I should be perceived as a boy. And this old me is holding me back. Okay. Okay, so I think I want to repeat back to you so that I understand what you're talking about because I want to make sure that I understand because I love you. I want to make sure that I understand what you're talking about. So you feel that you'd be better off as a boy and that almost all but not all of your problems would go away. And if you were perceived as a boy, you would feel better about yourself. Is that, is no, that it? That's did not I miss exactly, anything? You did a little bit because oh, I'm I sorry. feel... Thank you. I feel I'm a boy and um people don't realize it 
and I need to help them realize it. And you help them realize it. How, how, how would you help them realize it? Well, society is, you know, it's made up of kind of gender rules. So I have to get on puberty block because I have to get my name right. I have to get my pronouns right because then people will see me as the boy I am. So if you got on puberty blockers, it is, is and I'm trying to figure this out. So if you got on puberty blockers, you wouldn't develop breasts. And if you didn't have breasts, people were more likely to think of you as a boy. Is that the idea? Yeah. Do, do I have that right? The, yeah, they'd see the boy I am. Because, you know, society is made up out of gender rules and they would more easily see the boy I am that I know okay. is inside me. Okay, so I... I think I think I I think I'm understanding you here, uh, so I hear you. I hear okay. you. Okay. So so I wanna I wanna talk about I wanna talk about something you said before that I said that I get back to that's that's important. I believe you when you said you you've you've studied this issue. Um, let's let's talk about let's talk about like what does it mean to j- just so that I'm clear because I'm I'm trying to understand like. Let's say that I wanted to study. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know. I know your your teacher, Miss O'Fallon, uh, has talked to you uh, a- about uh, gentrification here in Dublin, and uh, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I and I and I and I and I know. And so just 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 so that. Just so that I'm I'm clear, because again I'm really really genuinely trying to understand what's yeah, going on here. Thank you. Yeah, sure, of course, of course. Uh, I I owe that to you. I'm your father, and I love you. So just so that I'm sure I understand, like let's 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 talk about gentrification, because I can kind of. It's. Do you understand how it could be easier for me to wrap my head around gentrification? Yeah. Okay. So when when you learn about gentrification. When you study it, like what does that mean to study gentrification? Like what what do you what does that mean? What do you, what do well, you mean by you know, that? You you check out you know what your teacher tells you, and then you 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 read the books around it, and you go deeper and deeper, and you find out there's different, um, there's different analysis, and you 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 explore them all, and you make sure that you've got ah. the, the the appropriate understanding. I think. Yeah. So you explain. So what would you do if I? told you that somebody i'm just just as curious like what if somebody only studied the fact that gentrification was was good then they wouldn't learn about all the poor people who were thrown out of their houses by gentrification right yeah so if you really want to study gentrification would it be fair to say that you'd have to study the pros and cons of gentrification yeah yeah okay can you name three people who have detransitioned and why their stories are meaningful? Can you name three people who have said that they've made a mistake? I just give me their names right now. Um, I could name you know one person who's detransitioned. Hold it on, but I have read some of the stories you've shown me of the detransition. No, no. So- I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm I'm asking you a very direct question. Can you give me the names of three people who have detransitioned? Um, I, I can, I can think okay, of so, three people. So, if you can't give me the names, if somebody couldn't give me the names of three arguments against gentrification or four, 
how could that person have studied gentrification? I tell you what I can do. I can say I know sure. of three stories of detransition and I know why it doesn't apply to me. I can know. Okay. I do know but those. That, yeah. That's different. That's di so. So that's very different because if you don't know the names of three people who detransitioned, it's unclear to me that you've genuinely studied the other side in the same way that if someone doesn't know the, 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 the main arguments against gentrification or climate change or for, it's unclear to me that you would know enough about the subject to say you researched it. Dad, I think this is really unfair because I watched so many detransitioners talk on YouTube and you're punishing mm -hmm. me just because I can't remember their names. One girl had really bad mental health problems and she had an eating disorder and she went to the gender clinic and she got puberty blockers after one meeting. But I'm not like her because I've been okay. feeling this way for two years. So okay. why, why do I have to know their names for me to have studied it? Okay. Okay. So I'm just trying to figure out what it means. So you, you said the word, your sister said the word studied. I didn't say the word study. I'm just trying to figure out what it means if someone says that they studied something. Forget about the gender thing. Like, what does it mean if I say that I studied cl climate change? I, I tell you one thing it means. When somebody talks to me about detransition, yeah. I think that they're missing the point because I'm not the type of person who will detransition. I have read enough about okay. those people. I know those people. Like Sasha said, like... They're, they're, you know, they've got eating disorders. They've so okay, many all right, but problems. but but hold 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 on, just I'm just I'm just trying to, sweetie, I love you. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Forget about detransitioning. What does it mean to say that somebody has studied something? Like if I tell you that I've studied, you know, I don't know, electromagnetism or something, or I don't even really know what yeah. that is. But if if I tell you I've studied, you know, like how to fly Climate a plane change. or something, like or whatever, like what does that mean? What does it yeah. mean to say you've studied? I mean, I, that may seem like a because I'm trying to figure out because like what does that mean to say that you've studied it? It means to study. I've stu I've spent hundreds, if not thousands, of hours exploring this subject. Thousands right. of hours. What percentage of time have you spent studying the fact that detransition is good versus detransition is bad versus detransition like? How many of those hours were spent in a 50-50 looking at both sides of the issue? I've spent many hours looking at the different, you know, the difficulties it is of being a trans person. I know a lot about how, how hard That's it good. is to be a trans person. I know be, the yeah. road ahead is going to be, be very difficult. difficult. Yeah, be very difficult. Be very difficult. And if that's the path that you go down, I will support you in that. I just want to make sure that when you tell me that you've studied it, I just want to make sure that you've actually studied. So what I would like to do is to study it with you. I'd like to look at some people who are very happy that they've transitioned. And I'd like to take a look at those stories. And I'd like to take a look at the testimonies of people who, who are not happy. So then we can, you know, I can say that I participated. So if you decide to transition, then I will have no, I will have studied and I will know enough about it with you that we, we've made that decision together. I mean, so don't, you, don't, don't you want that? Don't, okay. You know, I mean, because so I want to be supportive. So you're together. Yeah. We'll, we'll, okay. H how does that look? What will we do? Well, I don't know. We'd have to find a time. You, after you take the dog to the park, uh, we, we could come back and, and you know, we'll, we'll each be responsible for, for finding some material. And, you know, we, we, we can talk about that. But I think the most important thing now is that we, 
agree that we'll sit down and study it together, actually study it together. And we'll look at all sides and look at okay. different voices and perspectives, male, female, female, male. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And just one thing. Do you mean so sh side by side we're studying it together? Or do we well, yeah. No, yeah. we study it together side by side so we can watch videos of people. Uh, we can read stuff. Maybe we'll, you'll give me some homework of something to read. I'll give okay. you some homework of something to read. And we can come back and we can talk about that. That's what I think we should do. Chapeau. So I think we will carry this forward for our listener community. We will break oh. down that interaction and analyze it together. Yeah. But for our main podcast audience, we'll wrap it up here. And then for everybody in our listener community, please go over there to hear us discuss this interaction with Peter. Uh, and thanks, Peter, for really showing up there. That, that wasn't easy. <laughs> oh, no, no, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, was fun. thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.